I'm Mike Lunsford, and this is Stop Me If You've Heard This, a podcast where we dig deeper into the stories you thought you knew. Um, in fact, I have a really interesting relationship with Weezer uh, in general. They were one of my favorite bands when I was growing up, and I kind of got out of touch with them because they kind of changed sounds. They, they changed the, the vibe and feel that they had. But it wasn't until I got older when I found out why that was. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because it all has to do with a little album called Pinkerton. Pinkerton was their second album. Um, their first album, which really doesn't even have a title, um, it, everybody just calls it, you know, the blue album. And that's really loud. Jesus, let me turn that down. So the blue album, that was their self-titled. It was just called Weezer. It had all four of the band members uh, on the front of the album. And I'll play the big song, Buddy Holly. Everybody heard this song. Everybody knew this song. This was the song that pretty much brought Weezer into the mainstream. And... Everybody really kind of fell in love with them. They were this happy pop rock band, uh, this alternative band, as we've talked about on the liner notes here on Mike on the Mic. An alternative band that really didn't fit anywhere else. So they put them into the alternative category, and they had songs like Buddy Holly, as you hear right now, or Undone, the, the sweater song, which was their first single. But this really catapulted them into stardom. In fact, the album has become one of the most highly regarded albums of the 1990s, appearing on many best of lists. Uh, Like 2003, for instance, Rolling Stone did an album, or did a ranking of the 50 greatest albums of all time. And Weezer's Blue Album ranked number 297. So that's pretty dang impressive. So the album just really took off, and everybody loved it. I I, I don't think I met anybody that really just didn't like this album. Um, it was well-received by critics. Rolling Stone praised it. I mean, everybody across the uh, across the board praised it. And they were a fun, nerdy rock band. They went into things like Dungeons & Dragons, which was not something that most of their bands were willing to admit that they were in into. But Weezer didn't care. And that's what really makes them so great, is that they're genuinely themselves. And that's why I fell in love with them, why I fell in love with this album in particular. Now I'm going to go to their my favorite song of theirs, off this album that's Say It Ain't So but they had to follow this up as most musicians do they had to follow it up with another great song uh, another great album another great whatever and there's always pressure when it comes to musicians uh, and producing the next great thing which can be difficult because you're pouring your soul basically into the music and into the lyrics and into everything and you want everybody, obviously, to like what you're what you're having to say. And especially when you're making it something that's so personal, like music, and it doesn't go well. That's got to be heart-wrenching. Um, and we will be talking about it in just a second. But I'm going to let a little bit of this song play. This is Say Ain't So by Weezer. So go ahead and enjoy this one. Ready to blow. 
All right, guys, so that was Say It Ain't So by Weezer off of their self-titled album, uh, which anybody who's a Weezer fan or anybody who grew up with 90s music calls it the Blue Album. It's just what everybody calls it. So overall, the, the album was incredible. I mean, it went, it went gold almost immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, it says right here, so it was certified gold by the Record uh, Industry Association of America just under seven months after its release, so December of 1994. And was certified platinum uh, on ni- uh, January 13th, 1995. So, I mean, we're talking like a matter of another month, and it, it sold platinum. The Blue Album was certified double platinum on ni- in August of 1995. The album was certified triple platinum in 1998. So, I mean, the album just kept selling and selling and selling and selling. I, I don't know anybody who didn't own that first Weezer album. It was just one of those things that, like, it, you just, it was issued to you when you lived in the suburbs if you were white. Um... But kind of going into it, their next album, Pinkerton, and we're going to talk about that one exclusively. Uh, and again, if you're just joining us, this is Mike on the Mic on the FXBG Public Radio Network. Uh, I am in studio by myself today. Uh, just a little bit of a solo shot that I've wanted to try uh, for a while because I normally always have a guest or a co-host. So might as well try this uh, solo thing for a little bit here. So let's talk a little bit more about their next album. But I'm going to give this song... It's moment. It's such an in- incredible part of the song. It's the big finish here. And if you guys are joining me on uh, Facebook Live, thanks for joining. Uh, but you can hear me on FXBG Public Radio. The link is right there at the top of the video, so you can actually hear the music that I am talking about. But the song we're listening to, this is Say It Ain't So by Weezer off of their self-titled debut album which was triple platinum which is pretty dang impressive so let's transition into their second album which was Pinkerton now Pinkerton if you've never really heard of the term before like it it was an interesting story and we will get into it here in just a second but Pinkerton actually caught a lot of flack right off the bat um, for, for some really strange reasons um, there's a, a detective agency and they're, they're basically like hired thugs more or less. Um, that's called the Pinkerton detective agency. And, and I'm pulling this up right now. Um, but the name, well, like, where did the name come from? Uh, it's actually a character from the opera, Madam Butterfly. Um, Pinkerton is the name of one of the characters. So, the here it is right here uh, a day before pinkerton was to be released on september 24th 1996 a restraining order was obtained against the band and geffen records by encino california based security firm pinkerton incorporated the company sued weezer and geffen for allegedly um trademark infringement claiming that they were trying to capitalize on the company's reputation under the terms of the restraining order which had pinkerton incorporated seeking two million dollars in damages weezer would be kept from selling distributing or advertising an album with the name pinkerton Geffen spokesman David Dennehy defended the title, arguing that to Weezer, Pinkerton is a character in Puccini's opera, Madame Butterfly. It was not meant to be aimed at any sort of corporate entity. Cuomo wrote a six-page paper defending his choice of the title, Rivers Cuomo being the lead singer and songwriter of Weezer, uh, explaining why I chose it and how it works for the album and how it's essential. The case was thrown out of court after the judge determined that the hardship of not issuing the Pinkerton disc would be greater for Geffen than any hardship Pinkerton Incorporated or its shareholders might incur from consumers who mistakenly presume the company had anything to do with the album. So right there, 
we're talking a day before the album release. There's already issues going on. And this album in particular, and we're, we're going to start it off here. The first title track on Pinkerton is a song called Tired of Sex. So coming from a band that wrote song a song called Buddy Holly, which had a, you know, a kitschy music video that everybody fell in love with because they were it t- took the band and it put them into uh, the TV show Happy Days to go from something that was so fun like that to go to this Tired of Sex that's the first track I mean it wasn't the first uh, single that they released off the album the first single they released off of it was um, was El Scorcho but that's the first track that you're seeing Rivers Cuomo did this on, on purpose this album was meant to be very personal and he says that. Um, and I'll read a little background story uh, here about it. It says, In 1994, after the multi-platinum success of Weezer's self-titled album, Weezer took a break from touring for the Christmas holidays. Uh, in his home state of Connecticut, Rivers Cuomo uh, began preparing songs for Weezer's next album using an eight-track recorder. So, I mean, already he was recording tracks for this himself. Like, he had an idea of what he wanted. Uh, his original concept, and which, by the way, this concept sounded amazing, uh, was a sci-fi rock opera titled Songs from the Black Hole that expresses mixed feelings about success. Uh, Weezer developed Songs from the Black Hole through intermittent recording sessions throughout 1995. In March, Cuomo, uh, who was born with one leg shorter than the other, had extensive leg surgery to lengthen his right leg, followed by a painful physiotherapy sessions. This affected his songwriting as he would spend long periods hospitalized, unable to walk without the use of a cane and under influence of painkillers. In the same period, Cuomo applied to study classical composition at Harvard University with an application letter describing his disillusionment with the rock lifestyle. So this song right here, this is it's talking about how he meets groupies and he meets these women and they all like love him because he's a rock star. But he's having sex, but he's tired of sex. He wants love and he can't find that because anybody that he meets is just interested in his celebrity and not actually him. And that's and that's what he says in this letter. Uh, and it reads, fans ask me all the time what it's like to be a rock star. I can tell them that they are dreaming, as I dreamed when I was a kid, of someday ruling the world with a rock band. I tell them the same thing I would tell any young rock star to be. You will get lonely. You will meet 200 people every night, but each conversation will generally last about 30 seconds and consist of you trying to convince them that no, you do not want their underwear. (laughs) Then you will be alone again in your motel room, or you will be on your bus in your little space trying to kill nine hours as it takes to get from one city to the next, whichever city it is. This is the life of a rock star. So already, only one album in he's already feeling that pressure. He's already feeling that I wouldn't say loss, but it's definitely weighing on him. And that is something that I'm taking my glasses off because I'm getting reflection here. It's something that anybody has to deal with. And I know so many people are like, Oh, the poor celebrity, the poor celebrity, poor guy. Right? Like it's, you want, you want what you want, you know? Not everybody just wants to be famous and have groupies. Like, what he's looking for is what he's looking for. And I think that that's an important thing that we all need to at least respect with this. So the album was interesting in the sense that not only was it something that he wrote very personal lyrics about, it was also self-produced. They did all of the producing their self on this one. So there wasn't it wasn't like it was something that they were having somebody else tell them, oh, it should sound like this, or this is what it should be like. They wanted it to sound this way, so they wanted it to capture their live essence, and that's, that's something that Rivers Cuomo had stated, that the last album, their first album, just didn't accomplish that. It didn't grab that same sort of thing. And this features a much more abrasive and darker sound than their debut album. 
Uh, writing from a more direct and personal experience, Cuomo's wrote of his dysfunctional relationships, sexual frustration, and struggle with identity. The album charts his cycle between lame and party years, basically the way he described it. And in under just 35 minutes, Pinkerton is, according to Cuomo, short by design. Critics have described the album's music as a mix of several genres, including alternative rock, emo, power pop, and punk pop. Now, here's what ended up happening that was really interesting about this and why I wanted to discuss this album in particular, is the, the release was not well received. Um, they described it as a very brave record. So that's the way the record company described it. So that's already kind of a worrisome thing. Um, and it says right here, it says, what sort of light does this put the band in? It could have been interpreted as them being a disposable pop band. Uh, the label was pleased with the record and felt that no one was going to be disappointed. So, I mean, they, they did back it. Uh, and Weezer even turned down opportunities to do music videos with Spike Jones. Spike Jones, who's actually become a film director since then, um, but at the time, that was, he was a music video director. He did, um, he did Undone, the sweater song. He did Buddy Holly. He actually did the Green Day, um, song Basket Case, which was one of like the most famous music videos out of the nineties that everybody probably remembers with them in like a mental hospital. So, um, but hey, if you've tuned in and you're watching on Facebook Live, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. But tune in on Mixler. Go to www.mixler.com. Uh, take a listen because there is music going with this too. I am listening to Pinkerton by Weezer right now as I'm discussing it. Uh, but hopefully you guys are enjoying my very special episode of Mike on the Mic. So this track we're listening to right now is uh, Falling For You is what it's called. All right, so jumping back in here, guys. Welcome back. Mike on the mic talking about Weezer for a very special episode of the Liner Notes. So as I was mentioning, Spike Jones, who had helped raise the band's status with his videos for Undone, the Sweater Song, and Buddy Holly, uh, Rivers Cuomo said no to this. And the reason why he said that is he said, I really don't want the songs to come across untainted this time around. I really want to communicate my feelings directly, and because I was so careful in writing that way, I hate for this video to kind of misrepresent the song or exaggerate certain aspects. The final video featuring the band playing in an assembly hall in Los Angeles surrounded by light fixtures flashing in time to the music. So this was for El Scorcho, their, their first track off the album. Uh, Mark Romanek, the video's director, quit after numerous arguments with Cuomo and leaving Cuomo to edit the video himself. So there you go. I mean, he didn't even have anybody else edited. It was all done himself. Um, we talked about the issue that they had with the release of the album, with Pinkerton Incorporated suing them and trying to stop them from releasing it and filing a restraining order. But it it, caught, it cast a really heavy shadow on this album, and it just didn't sell well. And as it became apparent that the album was not going to meet sales uh, figures, Weezer felt pressure to make another music video to the liking of MTV. So MTV was forcing them to make another music video. So they made one for the song, uh, The Good Life, which actually, let's go ahead and we'll jump right into that song because that is a pretty good track. We'll play that one. I'll let this one play through. This is The Good Life by Weezer off their second album, Pinkerton. Not in the mirror. I can't believe what I see. 
Alright guys, so this is the good life that we're listening to uh, off of Weezer, Weezer's second album, Pinkerton. So kind of go back into the story here. So, Meteoric Rise, when it came to their first album. A lot of pressure from the record uh, company to do a, an amazing second album. They put out one that was much more personal, that was influenced by Rivers Cuomo's personal issues that he was having. Um, having surgery on his leg, um, being on painkillers, kind of being disillusioned with the whole concept of being a rock star. It really just affected him. So this album was much more personal, and it really was affected by the fact that it wasn't selling well. So MTV, in their infinite wisdom, decided to put some more pressure on Weezer, and they wanted a second video, which is The Good Life, the song we're listening to right now. Um, it, it was directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, and it stars Mary Lynn Rax, uh, Raj, I can't even say it, R-A-J-S-K-U-B. If you look her up, you would immediately recognize her. She's been in a million things. Uh, but she was a police uh, pizza delivery girl and uses simultaneous camera angles appearing on screen as a fractured full image. So it's a really good, um, it's actually a really fun video to watch. You should definitely check it out if you can get a chance. Uh, but in, in October of 1996, the band toured the Far East with concert appearances in Australia, New Zealand, and in Japan. Afterwards, the band flew home to Los Angeles where Patrick Wilson and Matt Sharp made a promotional appearance on the nationally syndicated radio show Modern Rock Live in an attempt to prove the album's standing on the U.S. album charts. A few days later on November 1st, Weezer launched the, its tour of North America at the Ventura Theater in Ventura, California. On November 6th, Weezer performed at an acoustic set at Shorecrest High School in Seattle, uh, which was because of a contest won by a student. A few of the songs they performed at the acoustic set were released in 1997 on the Good Life EP. So they kept touring, and in, in, in an attempt to try to make this album sell as good as the first one, which it just it never did, unfortunately. And it, it peaked at number 19 on the U.S. Billboard charts and just never really recovered. It sold 47,000 copies. Uh, falls short of its multi-platinum predecessor, the Blue Album. Uh, initial reviews were mixed. Uh, Entertainment Weekly criticized Weezer's choice to self-produce the album and dismissed it as a collection of get-down party anthems to, for agoraphobics. Ouch. Um, Rolling Stone said the same thing. They, they called the songs juvenile, and they described the song Tired of Sex as aimless. Uh, Rolling Stone readers voted the album the third worst of 1996. Uh, some, some listeners were perturbed by the sexual nature of the lyrics. Uh, Melody Maker, uh, which is a um, music publication that comes out, uh, British Weekly magazine, actually, um, praised Pinkerton, uh, but advised the listeners to ignore the lyrics completely. <laughs> so it just it got trashed. Um, the Los Angeles Times, which, I mean, would have been their home paper, even said uh, that the songs are sloppy and awkward, but express a seemingly genuine, desperate search for sex and love. 
Uh, Mark Beaumont of NME praised the album, writing that by the time the affecting acoustic lament butterfly wafts in like Big Star at a wildlife protection meeting, Pinkerton starts feeling like a truly moving album. So it did get some good response. But the problem was, is it just, it just didn't sell well. And because there was such a backlash from fans and critics, it really affected Weezer a lot. In fact, uh, Matt Sharp left the band after this album and went off and did his own thing. Um, in later years, though, and this is what was so cool about it, and, and we'll get to that in just a second, but let me just give you some of the, the response that, that came from this album. Like, Rivers Cuomo even said that he was embarrassed by the album. Um, and he said in August of 1997, he, um, he said, uh, this has been a tough year. It's not just that the world has said Pinkerton isn't worth a shit but that the Blue Album wasn't either. It was a fluke. It was the Buddy Holly video. I'm a shitty songwriter, is what he said. Um, it's a hideous record. It was such a huge, hugely painful mistake that happened in front of hundreds of thousands of people and continues to happen on a grander and grander scale and just won't go away. It's like getting really drunk at a party and spilling your guts out in front of everyone and feeling incredibly great and cathartic about it and then waking up the next morning and realizing what a complete fool you made of yourself. Like, man, that... <laughs> That's gotta hurt when you think about it. Like he he poured his heart and soul into this album, and everybody was like, "Meh." But there was a really cool thing that happened after this. Um, they took a hiatus. They took about a five-year hiatus before we saw another album uh, from Weezer. Um, in that time, though, they developed a cult following. By the time they released their their third album, which is the Green Album, again another self-titled one, but this one's colored green. Shocker. A wave of mainstream emo bands like Jimmy Eat World, Saves the Day, Dashboard Confessional, Motion City Soundtrack, they were all becoming big, but they all cited Pinkerton as a major influence. And it still didn't affect Rivers Cuomo. He even said, like in 2001, he said, the most painful thing in my life these days is the cult around Pinkerton. It's just a sick album, sick in a disease sort of way. It's such a source of anxiety because all the fans we have right now have stuck around because of the album. But honestly, I never want to play those songs again. I never want to hear them again. And it it completely flipped, too, because it gained that cult status. And because of that, the album ended up slowly but surely climbing back into people's minds and being something that people wanted to listen to. And it said... In uh, 2002, Rolling Stone readers voted the album 16th greatest album of all time. So it went from the third worst of 1996 to one of the greatest albums of all time. In 2004, Rolling Stone gave the album a new review, awarding it five stars out of five and adding to the Rolling Stone Hall of Fame. In 2005, Spin named it number 61 in the list of 100 best albums from 1985 to 2005. In 2003, Pitchfork placed Pinkerton at number 53 of their top 100 albums of the 90s list and gave it a perfect rating. In 2007, Drowned in Sound praised it as the ultimate breakup album, the best unrequited love album, and the greatest collection of confused emotions captured in the universe ever. Guitar World ranked it as number 76 in the top 100 guitar albums of all time. So, again, it started to build and build and build, and people really appreciated it after the fact. By 2008, Cuomo's had recon uh, reconsidered the album, saying, Pinkerton is great. It's super deep, brave, and authentic. Listening to it, I can tell that I was really going for it when I wrote and recorded a lot of those songs. In 2010, uh, um, Bell told the Aquarian Weekly, Pinkerton has definitely taken on a life of its own and becoming more successful and more accepted. As an artist, you just have to do what you believe uh, in at the time, whether it's accepted or not. You just have to keep going with it. In 2015, following the Pinkerton reissue and the Memories Tour, in which Weezer performed Blue and Pinkerton in, the in its entirety, 
Cuomo said, the experience of learning those songs again, singing them every night, working on them with the guys, and then being in a relatively small venue with a thousand of the most hardcore Weezer fans and hearing them sing every syllable, seeing them air drum all the fills, it was such an amazing experience and so different from what we'd been doing the years before that. So it was a great feeling of validation from the fans for this album that was so personal to me and has been such a source of pain for years. So this one album, and it's not like they went back and remastered it or retouched it or changed anything about it. This was the same album. And as time went on, people began to accept it. And not just accept it, but begin to love it. And that's just incredible to me. And it really shows anybody out there who's doing something creative, whether it be art, whether it be music, whether it be acting, whether it be writing, that sometimes you're, you're going to have things that people don't like. But that doesn't mean that you should lose confidence in yourself, that you shouldn't think that the thing that you thought was good was good. But take it with a grain of salt. And understand that just because you did it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have done it. And that would be, if I was going to give any criticism to anybody out there, and criticism's the wrong word. If I was going to give any advice, I think advice is the better word. There are so many people who want to write or want to podcast, for instance, like I'm doing right now, or want to do anything, whatever it is, but they're afraid to do it. So they don't record or they don't write because they're like, well, what if it's not good enough? You have to put it out there. You have to put it out there. You have to create it. Otherwise, how are you ever going to improve? How are you ever going to get past the point where you're struggling, where you want to be this great thing? You feel like you have this thing that, that you can share with people. I mean, Rivers Cuomo was willing to put out some of the most personal lyrics that he had come up with ever to create this album. And it was painful and it was awful for him in the time, in 1996. But as you saw, as the years went on into the 2000s, into, into the first like five to 10 years of the two, of uh, the 21st century, the album had completely changed. So 10 years after it had released, the album had actually made itself platinum. Like it had ended up selling enough albums after the fact. And that's incredible when you really think about it. And the fact that it came back is something that I, I think that a lot of people just wouldn't expect. And a lot of people just kind of give up on things. And it even says like, Right here, it says in December of 2011, uh, Cuomo's released the third album of his demos, Alone uh, 3, The Pinkerton Years. It comprises demo records from 1993 and 1996 when Cuomo was studying at Harvard and writing material for Pinkerton. So the fact that the album ended up selling not as many albums as the Blue Album, which, again, was a, a pop mainstay, but it did get to be certified gold and it was certified platinum in 2016 almost 20 years after its release so just two years ago the album was certified as platinum and that's that's pretty pretty damn impressive so i want to keep this short and sweet i just i wanted this experience that weezer had as kind of like a a, a cautionary tale in the sense that you shouldn't ever censor yourself when you're trying to make your art when you're trying to do something creative don't let a few bad reviews ruin everything. Don't let it do to you what it did to Weezer, where they took a five-year hiatus from recording music. But in the long run, this album was meaningful. It was true to form, and it ended up influencing people just for, I mean, for 20 years after after it came out. It's more appreciated now than it was when it first came out, and I, I just think that that's incredible. So on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up, guys. Um, it wouldn't be an episode of something that I'm doing here on Mike on the Mic or on GGR or on FXBG Public Radio uh, if I wasn't playing 
the next song here that we close out every show with. And we'll do the Weezer version of it. And that's going to be Africa. Because Weezer did a cover of this because their fans demanded it, which was pretty awesome. So we'll let Weezer close us out here, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this impromptu episode of Mike on the Mic where I practice this whole solo thing that I'm doing here. But tune in to FXBG Public Radio. That's fxbgpublicradio.com. Uh, you can find all of my work on greatgeekrefuge.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. It's GGR, The Great Geek Refuge. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We are all over the place. But guys, my name is Mike Lunsford, and this has been Mike on the Mic. Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy.